0: Good morning. Please open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Let me remind you of something. Chapter 1 verse 1 inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us it seemed good to me also having followed all these close all these things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Remember, we are reading accounts that have been compiled for the purpose of a certain Theophilus, that he might read them and have certainty concerning the things that have been said about Jesus. So, remember... There are some things that may seem more important or less important or um, items of detail that we wonder, why, why why do we need that? But listen, it's the word of God that God gave to Luke that he might give an account of certainty, first about Jesus and what he began to do and teach, and then the book of Acts, the church that followed. So keep that in mind. and Mike, thank you. Yes, the foundation of the believer is not America. God bless America. If you don't pray for America, you should. And you should ask God to bless America. In addition to every country on the face of the earth. We should. Are you happy you live here? If you're not, it's okay. And if you are, it's okay. If you want to have a barbecue, do it. But listen, the real freedom that we should celebrate... Have you heard this about national holidays? We can redeem the holiday. Have you heard that? Thanksgiving. Is it really about turkeys? Is that what Thanksgiving's about? Well, for a lot of people, it is. But for the Christian, we can redeem that holiday. We can say... I'm thankful, and we should be thankful at all times, but we have a national day to be thanks. Let me refocus my thanksgiving toward God Almighty. Independence Day. Is it good? We don't know. Show us the alternative. What would we look like if the Britons had won? But, listen, we have been freed from the slavery of sin, the tyrant... The oppressor, praise be to God. Have a barbecue. Bless God's name because he's freed you from slavery. Redeem the day, Christian. Be thankful. Be happy. You're free people. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and your mercy. And Father, indeed, thank you for liberating us for setting us free. For those who the Son sets free are free indeed. Father, we pray that you'd help us this morning as we look to your word and help me to speak truthfully and help us to know with more certainty these accounts that it might strengthen our faith. And we pray for those among us who are not here traveling and ill and Whatever takes them away today, that you'd bless them and that you'd help them. Even though they'll miss a week of fellowship, Father, we pray that you'd help them. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, today we'll do verses 19 through the end of the chapter, but let's remember what happened at the beginning of the chapter. Believers in Judea the apostles and other believers had heard what had happened with Cornelius. Remember? And the group that was at Cornelius' house. And they wanted to understand firsthand what had happened. Peter went to Jerusalem to report what had happened exactly. And we are told that the circumcision party, that those Jews that practiced the correct path to being A full citizen is to become a lawful Jew. That's the the way it's always been, they thought. The way it should be. Sure, God will accept proselytes, become a Jew first. And they were critical of Peter. Quote, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Like, the way they're presenting it is like, It's utterly obvious and bare. You ate with them. We don't do that, Peter. And Peter recounts, he's like, no, I'm tracking with you. I thought that too. And I had a vision and all manner of beasts came down on a sheep and God, in the vision, I was told to eat it. And I was like, I would never do that. Just as you're saying right now that I shouldn't have eaten with them. But God told me that it was clean, that I should eat it and quit questioning him. Right? What I call clean, don't you call unclean. He recounts the vision to them. No distinction is being made among believers, Jew or Gentile. And listen, sometimes we might lose sight of this. The Jews believed in Jesus. Thousands of them. Didn't they? He is the fulfillment of the scriptures that the faithful had been waiting for. The Messiah. 3,000 we are told at Pentecost are added on one day. Jews. Not Gentiles. Jews. Jews from all over but still Jews God definitely is blessing the Jews those ethnically related to Abraham and part of the nation of Israel Peter says that is the way that we God dealt but there's no distinction being made now that's what the sheet meant Jew or Gentile, anyone, faith in Christ fully saves all who believe. There's no need to go back to anything. And the proof of it, Peter told them, the proof, how do I know? Maybe my vision was just messed up. Maybe I was so hungry, right? The text said he was hungry. I fell into a trance and I started to dream about food. But no, the proof is that the Holy Spirit fell on them. They were eyewitnesses of this fact that the Gentiles at Cornelius' house became believers and citizens of the kingdom of God. And Peter sees that, that Spirit, that giving of the Spirit as had happened at Pentecost. That's the proof. I wasn't... I wasn't dreaming things that were untrue, right? We have dreams all the time and we wake up and wonder, what was that about? This is not that type of trance. God was giving him a vision and the proof is that the Holy Spirit fell on them. It's the proof. Without adherence to the law of Moses... The falling of the Spirit, the giving of the Spirit to those assembled at Cornelius' house is proof God does not require adherence to the law of Moses as a requirement to full citizenship in the kingdom of God. Faith in the name of Jesus. Faith in the Messiah. The Christ brings about healing and adoption into the family of God not the law of Moses right the bible says the law came by Moses but grace and truth by the lord jesus the law of Moses is fulfilled its time is over and what happens to his opponents who says peter you ate with them come on man you went into their houses, uncleanness everywhere, and ate with them. But after he says, listen guys, they got the Spirit. I, we all saw it. And the, the opponents are just quiet. Oh. There's nothing to say, right? You can you can form an objection and then you can show without a shadow of a doubt, no, they received the spirit. And huh? Okay. I guess we're wrong. There's nothing more to say. God gave proof. He has accepted the gentiles. God is saving people of all nations. Whoever believes will not perish. They're saved. And we're told this is not new. Jesus said this. Christ should suffer. Well, this is in Luke chapter 24. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Not just the Jews in all nations, all nations, everyone who's there. Behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power. This was for Jesus' disciples. But the same thing happened first to masses of amounts of Jews and then Gentiles also. The same promise of the Father that Jesus promised to send to be a helper and some and to remind them of everything that Jesus commanded. Has been given to Gentiles also. Praise be to God. And if we, if we think about it, you know, this is sometimes I I speak critically of the Jews in the Scriptures, but it's because that they were being wicked in the passage that whichever passage it is. Do you understand? When I say they weren't saying, wow, Peter, they believed you preached the gospel to them. They believed. they're just worried about what was wrong about what he did. And they were wrong in that. But Jews, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands have been saved. But when we think of Christendom, praise be to God. This vision for the gospel is much larger than they thought. You know, the Jews, rightly so, have been very influential in the the country of Israel in the history of the world because God chose them. But what's the ratio of Gentile to Jew in the kingdom of God? I don't mean spiritual Jew, I mean ethnic Jew. What's the ratio? A thousand to one? A million to one? Ten million to one? God has expanded his ministry to the Gentiles in a way that, even if they had expected, not that much. I remember years and years ago, Tony Hepp taught a Sunday school class. You might remember this. And the title of it was, The Proliferate Nature of God. Do you remember this? Whatever God does, usually he does it a lot For example, how many mosquitoes are there in the world? How many minnows are there in the world? How many ladybugs are there in the world? How many apples are there in the world? Do you understand? How many people are there in the world? How many cats are there? And rabbits? And foxes? And sparrows? and flamingos and ducks how many coyotes do you understand the proliferate nature of God usually the normal for God to do whatever he does it's good and there should be lots and lots and lots of them and certainly nature has been corrupted by sin and there are parts of the earth that are not working within the balance that it should work, right? We, can, we will testify and agree with Scripture. Nature does groan. But still, the proliferate nature of God is whatever He does, it was good. That's why it should happen a lot. Not only am I going to make these creatures, they're going to pre- reproduce themselves quickly and fill the earth well, listen, what, what God does, He does a lot. And when He says, I'm going to save the Gentiles, He was not kidding around. How many? Millions and millions and millions and millions. Praise be the name of the Lord. Is His grace small? No, it's enormous. It's wonderful. It's unexpected by the Jews for sure. The spiritual seed of Abraham, we could compare it to the stars in the sky and the dust on the earth. Well, let's read today's text. This is verse 19. Now, we'll read verse 18, just to, just to connect the two passages. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance to life. It leads to life. Verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man full of the holy spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul excuse me for Saul and when he had found him he brought him to Antioch So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Amen. Verse 19, those who were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. Now, let's think about this. This is from chapter 8. We remember this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. We are told in Acts 8, if you remember that. So the persecution of Stephen led to the scattering of the believers, Jews, that were in Jerusalem. And they went as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. But they just preached to the Jews in those areas, we are told. So it seems that the news of Peter and Cornelius had not reached those areas that were farther north than Caesarea. If you look on some of those maps in the back of your Bible, you can look at it. And if you go up from the coast from Caesarea and you go up, then you'll see where this part of the text is speaking about. Phoenicia would be present day Lebanon. If you look at a current map, Cyprus is an island off the coast, about 100 miles off the coast. And Antioch was in modern day Syria. And it was a massive city. I had forgotten this about Antioch. A massive city. They think, scholars think, over 500,000 people in the city of Antioch. For an ancient city, listen, that is massive. Only Rome and Alexandria were bigger in the Roman kingdom at the time. Antioch. Massive city. And this discussion that we're about to have in, in the narrative is about the gospel ministry and the church ministry in this vast, what we would call an ancient metropolis. Massive. Listen, when you have running water and sewage, you can have big cities when you don't. It becomes a big problem. How can you feed that many people and get rid of what we need to get rid of for that many people? This is why some of the ancient Angkor Wat cities also, they marvel at it because there's so many people that they believe were in those areas. How could they they support so many in a small area? So they go up. There, There are people who are scattered because of persecution, and they went to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, among other places. And they spoke the word in those places, but to Jews. Jews that are Jews, but they're not living in Israel. They're living outside of Israel. Um, Verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Preaching the Lord Jesus. So, okay, so now we have an expansion of ministry. Men from Cyprus, the island that we just spoke about. And Cyrene, this is a city that would be in present-day Libya. So the gospel has gone around the, well, for your benefit, I guess, around the edge of the Mediterranean. You have cities in northern Africa who have Christians. And islands in Cyprus that have Christians. And they go to this massive city. Listen, what's the purpose of going there? It appears they went there to preach the gospel. And you might say, why didn't they stay in their own country? There's not people in Libya that need the Lord. This is sometimes people's argument about missionaries. It's a waste of money. Just preach in the country you're in. Listen, there is biblical precedent for people going to a different place than where they are from and preaching and God blesses them greatly. Listen, have you heard the phrase that a prophet is not received in his hometown? That is true. Sometimes a man from Ethiopia can come to the United States and preach the gospel and people receive his testimony. And other Americans who are native or, uh, you know, been here for a while, let's say that, their, their word is useless. They don't have a listening ear for that word. Not saying that we can't minister here. We're doing it now. But it is also biblical precedent, not only for people to leave their country to go to other places, but for those people to be supported too. And they have a unique ministry. And this is very interesting. Had they heard of the story of Cornelius? I want to say no, they hadn't. That God had worked in them to do it independently of what had happened with Cornelius. The people, the Jews who were in those areas, it seemed, had not heard about what had happened yet. But these guys came to Antioch, remember, a massive city, and to preach the gospel there. Not to the Jews. To the Gentiles, the Hellenists, the non-Jewish, Greeks. This Hellenist term is sometimes used to mean something else. Um, so it can be confusing. But here, Gentiles is what is in, in view. They preached the Lord Jesus to the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking non-Jews in Antioch. Okay, verse 21. This dovetails very nicely with what Edward preached to us, taught us in Sunday school. The hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Why? Why did they believe and turn to the Lord? The text tells us why. The Lord was with them and helped them. Any gospel success is the result of God giving the growth. And you might say, well, what's the point of sending missionaries then? Well, A... Or preaching the gospel anywhere. A. It's commanded by God. You should obey Him. And even if you don't understand why. He doesn't require you to understand why. Just do it. You ever tell this to your kids? And you're not being a jerk parent either. Because I said so. Your job is to obey your parents. And mine is to direct you in the way I think God would want. Do it. And obviously, the kid is like, ugh, because I said so. That's such a lame reason. And they might, you might feel that way, but change your attitude. I'm not directing this to my children, by the way. They are lovely children. When God tells us to preach, we should. Even if you don't understand how that works with God's sovereignty. Do it. But also, just practically, we plant, we water, we work, we try. And God gives the growth. Right? Which one's going to sprout? We have no idea. Which country is going to receive the word? No idea. Which missionary is the right one to send? We don't know until we try. We just try. We know that God wants to save. We know that now is the time of God's favor. We know that they need to hear because faith comes by hearing. So let's go there and let them hear. And if they repent, we'll know God's hand was with us. He established the work of our hands and He had purpose to save them. And if it doesn't work, then what? Do you give up? Maybe you have to try even harder. Maybe God wants you to persevere for longer. Maybe He wants us to develop perseverance and steadfastness, the thing that we need to develop. And it's hard to develop unless something hard happens, Right? How do you develop perseverance and steadfastness? By failing a lot. And then getting up and trying again, and failing and getting up and trying again. If you listen to missionaries, they'll often tell you, and church leaders too, we don't know what thing to do. Which one's going to work? Our desire is that they would hear Jesus that they would believe and be saved, but we don't know which one's going to work. We try all kinds of things. The ones that don't work, we stop using those. And the ones that do, we focus on those. If you listen to Brother Chang, he's a great encouragement. He's, he says that. We try, we don't know. We just try. We don't know which one of our students God has called to be a good teacher. We let them try. Then once they try, we can tell. We see, oh, the, the people are responding to their ministry. They're listening. He understands the text. He's not timid. The way that you know the thing that God is blessing is by trying. If you never try and you say, well, people, God's not moving. What should, which action should He move on, if there's no action happening, you understand? God gives the growth. What if you don't plant? What if you don't water? And certainly we understand that the rocks can cry out, and God can raise up children for the rocks, from the rocks, according to John the Baptist. But it is our job as the church. I don't mean this church, though this church is included. Our job as the church is to let the name of Jesus be heard. He loves sinners. Can you believe this? Great Messiah. Nobody loves sinners. We hate sinners because they're sinners. They're unpleasant people. They're selfish. They're envious. They're murderous. They're adulterous. They're covetous, they steal, they lie, they cheat. I stay away from them. That would be the natural thing to do. But Jesus, He's a friend for sinners. What? He loves sinners? And those who are self righteous recoil at such a thought. And those who are sinners are thankful. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So apparently, the news going toward Jerusalem is faster than the news coming from that area. Because it appears they hadn't heard about Cornelius yet. But the Church in Jerusalem hears about the Gentiles being saved in Antioch. Seems to be fairly quickly that they hear, and they send Barnabas to Antioch. And remember, Barnabas is a good guy. And they send him there, like they had done in Samaria, they send him there to validate the ministry. Are they preaching the real gospel there? Are they preaching the real gospel? Did they really receive the Spirit, Barnabas? Go check it out. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. It's been confirmed to Barnabas. God is working here. The grace of God is, it's apparent. You can see it. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now this is interesting. I don't think that this steadfast purpose is related to Bar- uh, related to them, but Barnabas. With steadfast purpose Barnabas exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. Not remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Even though we should do that. But I think the steadfast purpose part is speaking about Barnabas. God's working among the Gentiles. Barnabas is glad. He's in Antioch. It's a massive city. What did he do? He exhorted them. Remain faithful to God. I'm glad God's grace is upon you. Remain faithful to Him. And he did that with steadfast purpose. John Gill says with a fixed resolution in the grace and strength of Christ, they would hold to his person, exercising grace upon him, abide by his truths and ordinances, keeping close to his people, adherence to his cause and interest, and hold on and hold out until the end. The Arabic version takes the purpose of the heart to be meant of Barnabas and reads the words thus, and he exhorted them according to the usual firmness of his heart, that they would continue in the faith of the Lord, and in the doctrine and grace of faith in Christ. Barnabas is a good guy. God had been merciful to him. Verse 24, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You know, sometimes people have... Um, ambition and they want to rise up the ranks and even this is even a problem even a thing for Christians right Jesus sniffed it out hey uh, what were y'all talking about on the road there before you know and I'm sure they felt ashamed and didn't want to say what they had been talking about you want to rise up the ranks? Be a person who's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That people say that about you. Oh, that sister, she is full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So it appears even more are added, right? There's these these guys and, and people from... Cyprus and Cyrene who come to Antioch and begin preaching to non-Jews, to Gentiles, and God's hand is with them, and a great number turn to the Lord. And Barnabas goes there to, to validate it and to see for himself, and while there he ministers also to them and preaches to them, and more are added. A great many people were added to the Lord." You think this is if we were going to plan this out strategically, this might be a good way to get the gospel around to a lot of places in a short period of time, wouldn't it? Let's go to the, one of the largest ancient cities in the area and have a great number of people be saved. Then what's going to happen? Well, people in big areas tend to move tend to travel. They're there for business and other reasons. And guess what? The gospel is going to go with them. Verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. If you remember, Saul had gone there after being converted. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. There's some thought that this Christian term, this Christian's title was not given by the church, but by non-believers around them. They called them Christians. So there must have been a significant thing going on there. Like, who are these people? They're not Jews, but sort of. They believe in Christ. We'll call them Christians. Christians. And Paul went there. They ministered in that church for a year. And taught a great many people. Verse 27. And though in these days... Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And historically, this was a time of famine. Um, they think this is in the between 40 and 50 A.D. that all this is happening, probably 45, 46, 47 A.D. And there were numerous fam- famines around that time period in the in the region. Um, but before it happened, God sent a prophet from Jerusalem. So listen, does prophecy exist in the New Testament? It, it did. There can, there's some debate as to whether it still happens. I don't see why it couldn't happen. I think most of modern prophecy is falsehood. You know, how can you tell God's man? Well, if it comes to pass with 100% accuracy, then you know, yep, he's a prophet. And if it doesn't happen 100%, the Lord didn't send him. Do not fear that one. This man's prophecy came to pass. Historically and in the text of Scripture as well. The Spirit... He foretold this, quote, by the Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit give false prophecy? You'll have to ask Michael Darwin about this. He's writing a book called The Problem of Evil. And in the book, he explores a a subject which I think is great. And by the way, he's a gifted writer. He is. He writes in a way that's very accessible and... I enjoy reading it, and this is what he says in there, probably not the first who have said this, but if God is not sovereign, how does prophecy work? How does prophecy work if God's not sovereign? Could Jesus have become a false prophet by prophesying that Judas would betray him, but then the disciples, using their own free will, held Judas in a room and locked him up so that he couldn't betray Jesus. Would Jesus then be a false prophet? Is it possible for Jesus to be a false prophet? The answer to all these is no, it's not possible. God is sovereign. When he prophesies the thing that will come to pass, it does come to pass. But how? How could it come to pass? Everybody has free agency going this way and that way. And who knows what decision they'll make next? Do you see how this is folly? Prophecy is a thing because God controls what He wants to happen. And His prophecy doesn't move. Oh, she said no. I thought she was going to say yes. She said no. Okay, well, I'll just switch it this way. Switch it that way. That's not how prophecy works. They prophesy ahead of time the thing. They declare the end at the beginning. But how can you declare the end? There's no way of knowing. There is a way of knowing if you are God. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is of the Lord. Which side will it fall on? Which straw will he grab? The short one or the long one? The right one is the one he'll grab. The one he's supposed to grab, the one he's meant to grab, and the one that he wants to grab. If you think about this, think about this in God's sovereignty. The the idea of casting lots to figure out which one of the Israelites had sinned and taken the thing and buried it under his tent. How does that work exactly? We don't know exactly what their lot casting process was, but let's just say it was drawing straws. How can it be certain that it will fall to the right one who actually did the evil? If you go and review that passage, it fell from the tribe down to the family, down to the clan, down to you are the one who did it. What did you take? And they know because the lot fell on him. God controlled the situation. So that one, so that the guilty would be found out, but also so the innocent would be spared. If it fell on the one who didn't take it, and they, they would stone that person. Prophecy is only a thing because God is sovereign. He's not guessing what's going to happen. He's telling what's going to happen. This man, Agabus, by the Spirit, tells them what's going to happen. There's going to be a massive famine in Jerusalem. This man came from Jerusalem, is directed by the Spirit of God to tell what's going to happen. There would be a great famine over all the world. Again, world in the New Testament is, um, it moves. Its meaning moves. But here I think it means the world that's around them. There's going to be a great famine And what did they determine to do? What did they determine to do? You mean there's going to be people in great need? Well, let's take up a collection and give them some money. Or give them some food. So, verse 29, "...the disciples determined..." Everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. According to your ability. Right? Jonathan Simpson cannot donate $50 million to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He does not have $50 million, and he wouldn't give to that anyway. But if you did, if you don't have it, you can't give it. Right? God is not looking at the amount. He's looking at the ability to give and the heart that gives. The disciples determined. They made up their minds. Let's give of our increase to them according to their ability and they did so, verse 30, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Well, that's the text, but there is something interesting there in verse 30. Sending it to the elders. This is the first time that we're, we're moving away from the apostles running everything. Right? This is not speaking of the apostles. These are, new, these are elders that have been put in place of the church there. We're starting to see deacons have been added, elders have been added. And when they come with this offering from the Christians in Antioch, they give the money to the elders and let the elders figure out who to delegate the distribution of that. Barnabas and Saul came with that gift. Well, listen, we've seen the gospel leave Jerusalem and go to Samaria. We've seen it go to Caesarea. Now we've seen it go far north into Syria. We've seen it go across the ocean to Cyprus. We've seen it go to northern Africa in the area which would now be Libya. And this is all happening. The text says it sort of says it quickly Because they were scattered. This thing that happened to Stephen was a terrible thing. They should have repented and believed what he had said. But instead they hated him and they killed him. But God had intended for that to happen. Why do bad things happen to good people? For good reasons. This bad thing, this terrible thing that happened to Stephen resulted in the gospel moving to more places faster. And that many more being saved. Yes, Stephen died, but he's a Christian, he's with God. And it blessed the regions around and really ultimately the whole world. Let's praise God for his wisdom his understanding his holy plans. We don't like I said we don't have to understand them but we have to obey. Let's let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've spent together. Would you bless us? We we do want to be doers of the word. And we pray that you'd help us have mercy on us, Father, for being sleepy and, and um, even lazy at times. Lord, help us that we would be like Barnabas, that we would exhort each other and encourage each other with steadfast purpose, that we would seek to bless other parts of the kingdom of God that are in need. Help us, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.